Hello and welcome to Making It, the podcast about making theatre and making it as an artist. I'm your host, Tammy Wilkie, and each week I'll be chatting to an emerging playwright, theatre maker or theatre company about how they make theatre, why they make theatre and what they do to survive. Zoe Cooper is a playwright and theatre practitioner based in Newcastle. Her play, Jess and Joe Forever, at Farnham Maltings and The Orange Tree, won her the Most Promising Playwright Award at the Off West End Awards in 2017 and was longlisted for the Evening Standards Most Promising Playwright Award. Earlier this year, I saw her beautiful play, Out of Water, at The Orange Tree. It's a play about Claire and Kit, a lesbian couple who've decided to move back to Kit's hometown, South Shields, for the birth of their first child. It sounds simple, but there was always so much complexity under the surface of Zoe's work. Her plays use direct address, narration and doubling in ways that surprise an audience and seem to interrogate what a story is and how it should be told. While she draws us in with characters who are as funny as they are flawed. They are subtle, tender and pack an emotional punch. Zoe, thanks for joining me. Thank you for such a lovely introduction. You're very welcome. My first question is, how did you get into theatre? Well, uh, my mum is an actress, Mm. so I... I, I, well, I think like one of the first times I was kind of physically on the stage was when I was in her tummy <laughs> when she was in a play called Steaming, which ah. is about uh, some public baths. So I think I was possibly naked on stage as well. <laughs> wow. As a tiny, tiny baby. Um, <laughs> so and then I kind of rebelled and uh, wanted to be a civil servant and ah. join the Conservatives. What? It was like a big rebellion. Um, wow. When I was like 15. <laughs> Um, and like really wanted to. Be I did not normal. expect that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they used to wheel me out at parties so they could laugh at me. <laughs> yeah, so and then I went off to university and sort of uh, was a terrible actor, like a lot of writers, I think. <laughs> uh, and myself included. No, not not myself included <laughs> at all. I was really quite bad. Um, and, um, uh, and then wrote a, wrote a play and was kind of encouraged by Steve Waters, who's a ah. playwright. To, keep writing so ah, cool yeah that's how I started and um so you were on stage before you were born yeah yeah <laughs> like a prenatal yeah. like yeah, disposition to it it's probably my best performance really. <laughs> um <laughs> and did you go to the theatre a lot as a child then yeah I did although it's odd isn't it like I like the stuff I remember is like the kids shows that my mum took me to mm. so Wind in the Willows at the National <laughs> and um kind of all those kind of big family shows I think mm-hmm. I was taken to adult plays quite a bit as well or was in the wings or whatever but um I just thought it was boring and for grown-ups and I wasn't really interested um so yeah I don't I don't have any amazing stories unfortunately of like inspirational moments watching Mm. it's obviously quite a simple child watching that's interesting that you like kind of rebelled against it like the sort of feeling that like because theatre was just a normal thing for you it was just like so pedestrian you kind of wanted to step away from it and then like that journey back to it Yeah, no, I think it was really important not to feel that I was just doing what my parents had done. Mm. So I think, and then it took me, like, I suppose the other thing is it took me quite a while to find my voice. So I wrote Mm. some really quite bad plays in my (laughs) 20s, unfortunately, some of which did see the light of day. (laughs) I had a bit of a false start. So I think it took me a while to kind of um, be my own person. Mm. But how did you kind of... Because you say that you're kind of like acting a little bit like at university. Yeah. But how did you discover writing? Like what was that pathway before Steve Water stepped in and encouraged you? (laughs) Like what what was the journey into writing? Honestly, I wanted to uh, 
be in lots of plays and so I'd spotted Steve had a module that was playwriting mm-hmm. and I thought that'll be fun and also that'll probably be easy right so <laughs> <laughs> I, how wrong you were I'm now a lecturer so I feel really <laughs> bad that um that was my original thinking and mm. then I wrote a play that was like incredibly autobiographical where I changed it was all about my family mm. and I changed my identity mm. entirely so I was like or not entirely I was I the me character was like a beautiful gay young man uh, <laughs> who was like more interesting than the rest of his family. <laughs> and then the rest of the family were kind of an arty, mildly dysfunctional family. So I didn't change any of them, mm. uh, just myself. So uh, I wrote that play and Steve was like, you're good, but maybe stop, uh, maybe step away from the straight autobiography. Mm. So, yeah. So you kind of like, you kind of thought about doing this module. What university were you at? I was at Cambridge. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What What college? Homerton. Oh. Uh, yeah, I dropped out of Oxford uh, after four weeks because all the what? posh people. And then oh, wow. That's went, so interesting. And then went to Cambridge. That's hilarious. <laughs> but you were like, Oxford, don't like it, but Cambridge. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I, I always like find... The way that you said that was really sweet, like Cambridge. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do find it really interesting because, like, I always, I, I feel like I don't like talking about it. No. Um, just because I, I hate spreading the idea, which I mean is steeped in elitism and some truth that, like, you can only really have a career in the arts if you've like been to a certain university. So I always really yeah. shy of it as like. And I think it's really complicated because I think the people who are not shy of it are people mm. who everybody expects to have gone to Oxbridge. Yeah. So sometimes I feel that those of us who went but maybe aren't like typically what the people might mm. expect maybe have a bit of a responsibility to be honest about it. But yeah. I also feel a bit weird about it. And yeah. Being a being working at a university now, mm. there's so much talent beyond yeah. uh, Oxbridge. Mm. And so it is a little bit sad. I think. Yeah. I yeah. Also, I feel like I mixed feeling. <laughs> I feel like I'm a playwright and an actor despite Cambridge, not because of it. Like, really? Yeah. That's interesting. I, I found that I didn't feel like there was much creativity there, at least when I was there. No. And I felt like the stuff that was staged, it was always kind of really classical canonical stuff yep. and I couldn't see myself in oh, it at all that that's still because you must have been quite a long time after me <laughs> it's sad that it hasn't changed well yeah well, I, I, I hope it has since I've left maybe but the like next generation yeah <laughs> but it's like I think there was one device show in the, on oh, that I remember in the three years that I was there <sighs> yeah and like there was some new writing like I was really impressed by other people but I felt like yeah. the people who were had a bit more of a license to write were from certain schools and maybe just and also I think I found it really hard it's hard to see yourself in that landscape so I think I've found it hard to even conceive of a play yeah. like in that space so yeah, it's a funny I, one because it's both there's so much educational privilege that comes with it but yeah. then also I think it did dampen me creatively as well and, and on a different level did you make work when you were there or? uh did I make work I, I produced a lot right. I did I because I, I wasn't really thinking about writing that much I was thinking of acting and because most of the like um most of the directors like had come from Eton or St Paul's or whatever like that natural authority yeah and like just yeah. an it's unconscious bias that, that learnt authority that yeah. they've learnt at yeah. schools yeah but I just feel like there was a sort of unconscious bias and not being able to recognize like oh I can't see you as I don't know Juliet or oh, or whoever God. because everyone that I've seen perform those parts look a certain way like yeah. and they're not a black yeah, yeah woman so I 
I stepped away from acting for a little bit and did some producing, which I really enjoyed. I think it's really good to learn well, other learned sides that of it. amazing skill as well. Yeah. She's like brilliant, but it shouldn't be why you learned that skill, really, yeah. should it? We, um, we did, I did quite a bit of devised work with the like radical, looking back on it, slightly complicated feminist group. Mm. Um, so I, I did make work, but we felt really excluded. We were never, mm. the only time I was on at the ADC was, um, She's like the student theatre, I, yeah. I guess. And the sort of main student theatre. The theater. main student theatre was in a Susan Laurie Parks play. So, mm. But what was super sad about that was that on the opening night, it was a totally diverse cast. I think I was was one other white person in it. Mm. And um, it was great. And we looked out into the audience. And we were like, oh, the audience is really white. Mm. And then we were like, oh, everybody's on stage. That's <laughs> that's it. We've just tapped out on... The, there were so few people of colour there mm. that it was quite yeah. yeah it's funny um i saw an article that was saying that, that like there were like 91 black students at cambridge and that was like a huge leap and i was oh, like because of stormzy isn't it yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. of um his um bursary or like scholarship or something but i was like 91 <laughs> like i like i was like <laughs> is that meant to be a lot like i was like <laughs> and i was like oh my god like there must have been less when i was there i was like sort of deeply horrified like i was just like <laughs> blown did you, away did you, did you you know you must you noticed it when you were there or I, not I you just didn't think about it I think because so I went to a private school like um and so I think I was just used to being in predominantly white spaces right there was like three black girls in my year and that was a lot like it was like quite a lot um so I think I maybe was just like a bit used to it but I think I you just presume that there are more people but <laughs> just you just don't see elsewhere. them yeah you just like, <laughs> so like that was a weird yeah weird that, that was maybe this week or last week it was a real like shock for me yeah I think for a long time, yeah, it's weird. My relationship to like blackness and like my identity, like was sort of divorced from school life. It was like, it's at home or it's at church, like when I was going to church, like, but sort of within academia, it felt like it was like, I don't know, a weird thing. Yeah. And I guess the curriculum there as well, it's yeah. it reinforces that yeah. again, doesn't it? So what course were you doing if you would, if you... I did education in English to begin ah, with, and cool. then I swapped into just... English because mm-hmm. I started off wanting to like make a difference. <laughs> I was like, I love reading. Yeah. Um, so. And so education in English and drama or just en- no, education in English? No, I, mm-hmm. yeah, just education in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And then you swapped into English. And then yeah. what, what was the sort of module that was playwriting? Because I did not know that I was there. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you would be able to do it if you were, were you English. Yeah. Right. Okay. No, you wouldn't have been allowed to do it because mm-hmm. it was a module just for our, and I think I had to. I think maybe I even had to like petition to do it because I wasn't drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was great. And That's Steve so cool. was amazing. And um, and also actually, it's interesting what you were saying about not feeling like you could write. Because I like, after I started writing, I wrote quite a lot and I never entered any of those competitions. Didn't, mm. didn't even occur to me to send off my work to anybody mm-hmm. within like, you know, there's competitions all the time at Cambridge for mm. writers and it just didn't really occurred to me even mm. Steve was being so positive yeah I sort of don't even know what those writing competitions were I don't think I noticed them oh dear yeah <laughs> I know <laughs> says a lot yeah and so after leaving Cambridge like did you keep writing like what was your relationship to writing well I think so I I I've now I'm more confident but I was never very confident about my own ability mm. so I and I really liked I still liked reading Mm. other people's plays Mm -hmm. so I I went in as a reader um, for various theatres and worked as a literary officer at Hampstead Mm. so um, and then did the Royal Court Young Writers Mm Programme really honestly because I wanted to learn a bit more about 
I think now they do like a script reading course you can do at the Royal Court, which I would have oh, absolutely cool. eaten up. But like mm. that wasn't available at that point. So mm. I, I was really just there to learn how to think about plays a bit more mm. rather than necessarily to write mm-hmm. my own work and then would like write plays and then hide them in a drawer. <laughs> also, because it's a bit weird. I think people who do both, you feel like you have to choose. Mm. I think you feel like you can't be a writer or I felt I couldn't be a writer or put my work out there when I was selecting people mm. for youth commissions why do you think you felt that way well I think it's conflict of interest I still kind of think that actually I think mm. that it's all right to and that's maybe not any shade on anybody else but mm. personally my view would be like that you have to keep those two things a little bit separate mm. you don't want to like any sense that you have promoted your work above other people's when mm. you're in a room deciding which plays are going to get mm. developed um and produced then I guess maybe it's about like being like, okay, well, I know that in this theatre, I'll never put my work yes, forward. Like the that's where I, I work got to at. eventually. Yeah. yeah. But I think it just initially, and like everybody knew me as a literary person. And mm. I it just felt a bit weird being like, oh, I'd also like to win this competition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's... um Yeah. I wonder whether like that's changed because I sort of feel like that there are certain playwrights that I think of or li- literary department people. And I'm, I sort of really squarely see them as both and like yeah I feel like maybe there's something about maybe it's something to do with social media like the way that you present yourself yes that's like that kind of distills that and makes makes you be able to hold those two things in your head like in a comfortable way and actually that is true because yeah I mean Stuart Pringle's an amazing yeah amazing and I was thinking writer. of like Jill Greer as and well and Jill Greer yeah exactly no I think it has changed it's just me who's a bit weird about it <laughs> well no and, and maybe it was like a natural thing where it's like I feel like I want to be one or the other it's just I think it's also like a gig economy thing where it's like you kind yeah. of can't really just do one thing no. and survive like no, and not. so I think the sort of actor writer very very different it's less of a well, I don't know. I, the writer's room that I've been in over the last like few weeks, like it's a great TV show that I'm obsessed with. And like there are points where I'm like, I'd love to just myself as an <laughs> actor for this potential character that may be like cast in like a minute. I don't think that's as minute. weird though, because you're not, you're not, if you were a casting director, that would be a bit weird. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I suppose so, <laughs> you know yeah. I mean, it's not, um, yeah, it's not so direct. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> and so you were at the Hampstead yeah. and then... Um, did you go anywhere else and do? Did Hampstead, but then I was, like, as you say, gig economy. I mm-hmm. was um, doing lots of youth theatre work at the weekends mm-hmm. and then... When uh, you say youth theatre work, what do you mean? Like helping teenagers to write little plays and oh, things cool. like that. Yeah, so I did mm-hmm. quite a bit of that. And then I would um, read for various theatres. I read for Watford Palace, um, mm. which is like my first reading gig, which was choosing the panto. Oh, great. Which is like the most weird... Wait, so people would write... Like panto scripts like I guess they do the rounds so Uh I guess like with pantos there's quite kind of fascinating like miniature I don't know if this is still the case but there would be a panto script that would be done in various places Mm -hmm. so they would write it and then Mm -hmm. it would get picked up by these theatres and so you would be choosing between the seven or eight pantos that were doing the rounds and I'd be wow. like oh, this one's too sexist this one's too, too racist oh great I'm <laughs> so pleased this one's got no plot so um, <laughs> that's so cool that you were in that position the one. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but I, yeah I just advising not kind of choosing uh for that one mm-hmm. yeah so I did that and then left and floundered quite badly trying to <laughs> kind of be a writer uh, so when did it when did the point come where you switched from being a person who just did the writer's group to like learn about plays like someone yeah. who was script reading like and sort of swimming in plays but not necessarily feeling confident as a writer to like being feeling like you were a writer I think I needed other people to tell me so like mm. a few people kind of um let me 
have like rehearsed readings or did um I did like which I wouldn't necessarily advise I wrote like many many short plays um mm. for many many small theaters mm. and then kind of I guess it was around that time when Nabokov were making all that kind of gig theater ah. that was like very short little plays um and theater 503 and it was like a particular moment of theater I think where like short plays I know short plays are still done now but like that was kind of where the excitement was mm. um so I did quite a lot of that and um, why why would you say that you wouldn't necessarily advise that now is it just because you feel like it's a different time or like I think it's really helpful and like my the playwrights on my course I kind of encouraged them to do a bit of it I think that I got slightly and it's probably just me but I got a bit stuck in a cycle mm. of getting really good at that like tiny turning point mm. and then I don't know it's this particular skill and it doesn't necessarily map onto full-length mm. plays mm. so I think it's like a useful thing and it's useful to make friends mm. I mean like friends in the professional sense like mm. directors who like your work yeah or yeah that are like great in your work or whatever it is or yeah. producers and finding your feet and having an audience so yeah I think that's when I realized I think I thought I was writing like really dark <laughs> um uh kind of because I'd done the young writers program I think I thought I was going to be like Polly Stenham <laughs> and then people came along and were like oh I really like the bit about I don't know like the scotch egg or whatever <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'd be like oh plays are like funny and not necessarily like super dark or, mm. but that was quite I don't think I would have learned that if I'd not been in front yeah, of an so audience it's almost know? like figuring out your voice yeah but it, it it sort of sounds like you think it's really brilliant but like not to get stuck into like if you're able to make short plays it means that you can put it in front of an audience quickly yes and like it means that you can learn loads but if you stay in it too much then it sort of means that you're tied to that kind of part of the skill. Yeah, and right? I think like it's a little adrenaline rush, isn't it? Because mm. you can get it up really quickly. Yeah. So you'll have the commission and then it will, or what, I don't know if you'd call it a commission, like someone's <laughs> like, do you want to write a short play about X? Mm. And then it's two weeks and then it's on. Yeah. Which is an amazing feeling. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes that can feel so, it's quite um, seductive and mm. actually settling in writing a play for nine months in your evenings and on your weekends mm. can feel like a big slog and a massive risk but maybe it needs to be done mm. I don't know it's hard isn't it that's so you were writing those short plays and then and then was that sort of part of the journey to the turn towards feeling like an actual writer yeah I think so mm. so that and yeah and I entered competitions and never won but um me and my friend um Evan Placey were like best we became like mates because we were always on the shortlist together mm, and that's really never sweet. won <laughs> so um, I think I met other writers who were in a similar position to mm. me and how do you feel like that helped because I really liked their writing and mm -hmm. I was like oh they're really good so, <laughs> um maybe I'm not utterly crap mm. yeah <laughs> lovely yeah so that was nice mm -hmm. what was the process of getting your first day play First day played? First play staged. <laughs> yeah, I um I did another one of those like short it was like a seed commission mm. for um live theatre that didn't really work out. So it was mm -hmm. kind of ended up being two projects rather than one. It was like the director's project and my project. Mm -hmm. So we kind of they kind of got we split them mm -hmm. and he did his thing and I did my thing. Mm. Um and my thing was to go away and try and write a play. Mm -hmm. Like not in a bad way, I think we just had different visions for it. Yeah. And um then sent it off to them like a year later mm -hmm. sort of thought I think sometimes as well like the thing I often say to young writers that I work with is so I used to spend ages when I was at Hampstead carefully crafting a letter that was trying to be really encouraging and be like mm. send me your next play or like come in for a cup of coffee mm. or like would like write two pages of 
like what I thought was great about the play mm. um, and then would never hear from them again or would hear from them and they'd be like, well, you didn't like my play, so I guess I'm not, you know, <sighs> you're not interested in me. Yeah. Um, and I had weirdly, even though I knew that, had the same reaction to live. They said they liked me and wanted mm. to stay in touch and I was like, sure. Um, <laughs> as if. <laughs> as if. Um, but did eventually send it off to them and then, and then they produced it. So, mm. yeah, that's another thing that with young writers I often say is like, if a, if a venue says they really like you but don't want to put your play on, it's not, that is like really positive. Because mm. if it's not a form letter, so if it's not, dear blah, we didn't enjoy it, yeah. sincerely. <laughs> then. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like something that I'm trying to learn is to actually hear, like when you get notes, when you get criticism. Yeah, it like ke you, keeps being the same, doesn't it? Yeah. That you only hear the bits. Yeah, you only hear the know. bad bits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, you have to hold on to the bits that were nice. Like, yeah. you, and you have to hold on to like the positive bits. You just, I think it's really natural. You just dismiss the positive bits. Completely. And like the positive bits, as you just said, like can lead to more work or, yeah, totally. or like furthering that relationship. But because we take the criticism personally, yeah. like we miss out on the like juicy greatness of possibility yeah and also like I think also something that I try and remember like when people give me notes and also when I I give notes is that the positive bits are still notes yeah. so they are like I re we really loved this bit and it's like well yeah. why did they love that bit yeah. what was it about that bit and what how can I do that bit more mm. <laughs> or whatever you know which again I think is like that those bits aren't just blank it's not just blank yeah kind of good <laughs> tick you know yeah there's a reason that they said something about the thing that they like yeah and what is it they're tugging on i guess yeah like, and, and that's something you can lean into more in the next draft yeah exactly mm. exactly but it is hard to like not just be like oh it's dreadful <laughs> yeah they hated it they hate me yeah. i'm awful yeah <laughs> maybe i won't write anymore please yeah <laughs> and so when it was staged at live with live theater mm. um what was, which was that play it's a very long time ago it's called nativities uh-huh and it is so i think like that was another thing that i was thinking about before this podcast was that like for me I did not have not my friends had like first show massive hit great piece of work beautiful mm. kind of was a bit of a like manifesto for them wow for their work since yeah and for me my first play is absolutely not a manifesto <laughs> for the rest of my work like, it bears so little resemblance to what mm. I write now and I think there were elements of it that were good and mm. everybody else did a great job <laughs> but I was it it's not really reflective of the kind of work I want to How make. so? I think I was seduced by other people's voices. So mm. I think the danger of reading a lot of other people's plays, and again, like this is just me, there's so many great literary people who don't have this problem, who are able to really clearly separate who they are from, as a writer, from what they're reading. Mm. I think I really lent into a certain type of voice that was around then, mm. um, which was done brilliantly by other people <laughs> and absolutely was not my voice. What, what voice was that, if you could well, describe it? Lots of very staccato short sentences. Mm. Um, very, I want to say televisual, and I don't necessarily mean televisual because mm. actually, like, television has changed. Yeah. So, but um, quite and quite a harsh worldview. Right. Quite, yeah. Like bleak, mm -hmm. dystopian. Yeah. <laughs> which is not really me now. So, um, yeah. And I think that was an example of it didn't get great reviews, deservedly. Mm. But the bits people did like were like, the slightly warmer bits mm. and the slightly more I don't know like the bits now that I can see are more me so mm. it, yeah that's really interesting what you're saying about like worldview I, I don't know why I just find that really fascinating like how much your worldview can impact upon your work and when you're not like playing to the tune of your actual world worldview yeah. how like that that affects your work in a negative way yeah it was also like 
completely heterosexual people, <laughs> but who were quite obviously not heterosexual. Mm. So that was a bit awkward. I yeah. I don't think I did myself any favours there. It felt a little bit like I was writing with one hand behind my back, I think. Ah. Like I'd chosen not to give myself both hands to write. <laughs> so I'm going to write this bleak worldview about lots of heterosexuals. Straight people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really nice to hear, like... I don't know that you you sort of turned around and were like my worldview is warmth and like and maybe that is where like having maybe like being a, that's when being a reader did like reading a lot did help because mm. I was like oh the playwrights I really love um like Tom Wells or mm. Caroline Horton I used mm. to like really really I still really love her work and David Gregg and like these kind of people they have a real warmth even in bleak moments they have mm. real warmth for their writing and and they would be the ones I would like almost guiltily going and like I'd watch lots of Victoria Wood and mm. they'd, they'd, they'd be who I'd like they'll guiltily be enjoying and well, not guiltily enjoying but like mm. but, and they'd be like but not for me yeah um, that's really interesting because it's interesting when you think about like the kind of writer that you think you want to be yeah. and actually the kind of writers that you're like really deeply drawn to because yeah. like there are certain playwrights where I'm like oh my god I can never write anything like that and that makes me want to write like that yeah um, whereas like I turn around I think I've got a similar thing where I think well at least with the one play that I've written I feel like there's a, a warmth to it that feels more natural than like a kind of cerebral like cutting sharpness yes, exactly. that it's, I would that love and I love seeing and I think it's amazing yes, yes, but that, actually yes. probably isn't really my voice and no, that's okay exactly. yeah yeah and feeling and maybe there's also a thing in there about warmth that is to do with like what we consider art and mm. that actually like warmth happy endings all those things or well, not mm. even happy endings like compromised mm. you know happy endings or whatever and maybe not seen so we internalize that as yeah. being less of less value and also recognizing that that is important like people need hope like, yeah especially yeah. nowadays like that yeah. there is deep value in that there's there's value in plays that are cerebral and cutting and speak truth to power that's sick and necessary but it is no less necessary writing plays that are warm and like have heart and like yeah. and you can speak truth to power in a warm way I think yeah, you can yeah. be like highlight stories that wouldn't be there otherwise and that you know despite that these people are hopeful even if the situation is because mm. like the other thing that I get quite kind of frustrated by is sometimes like if you're not well I think there's a thing maybe about kind of bleak working class drama or bleak mm. lower middle class which is I think maybe where I end up writing a lot mm. is like kind of which is where my mum's family is kind of situated mm. uh that everything has to be shit in order to show <laughs> that the system is yeah rubbish and actually like the people in it can have hope and yeah have like positive things happen to them in positive lives and without it without it that being a um endorsement of all the systemic problems that mm. around those people so and it's it's no less authentic if like people exactly. are happy exactly like, and the same for queer stories like mm. don't, like that thing of like you know lesbians always die or <laughs> you know like it, it isn't that's not my experience of life even if there is also like, horrible discrimination and mm. it's, yeah so i think that's also political mm -hmm. but it's maybe less readably political than mm. really tough punchy writing yeah and I'm just interested in like the sort of journey towards feeling like you were a writer and like sort of you kind of turning around to it at Cambridge. What intersections of your personality or like your identity mm. do you think were part of the reason why you struggled to feel like a writer? I think growing up I was around writers and mm. they all seemed very clever. <laughs> and I thought I also thought there were more important voices than mine to be heard. Mm. Um, and some of that's I think a positive thing because mm. I think like 
so the writers that I really admired and the generation that I was part of were writing stories that to me felt so urgent and mm. because I wasn't writing into my own voice mm. there was a lack of urgency to what I was writing and mm -hmm. so I think that's maybe why it took me a little while to realize what I had urgently to say so mm. yeah maybe that yeah so almost like that kind of helped, meant that you struggled to find your voice because it's like is what I have to say important yeah yeah and I was a bit afraid of, right, I mean, I, like, I've been out since I was 15, but I was really afraid to be out in my plays and didn't see that reflected in a positive way anywhere. And, you know, there, I did know lots of writers, but there were hard, like, there are no lesbians on mm. British stages for a really long time. Yeah. Like, um, someone told me, which is maybe apocryphal, I don't know if this is true, that there has never been a lesbian kiss on the royal court stages. Wow. Oh, my God. I don't know if that's true. But, um, <laughs> we need to look this up. Yeah. I tried to, like, work it out. Yeah. And I couldn't work it out. But, like, even if it's not true, that is not something that happens very often yeah. on the big stages. Yeah. And I think that then that meant that I felt I couldn't write mm. the stories that maybe do have a bit of urgency. Mm. And maybe, like, and oddly, I think I've been emboldened by your generation um <laughs> because not that i'm 112 but um <laughs> there's a much more uh sense of taking that stage and not feeling like self-conscious mm. about it it's so interesting about like not seeing yourself reflected on stages like i did the royal court like intro to playwriting group as well and one of the most useful things that happened when I was on the course is that somebody who had been writing on The Good Immigrant came and spoke to us. And um, he talked, I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before, so I won't go into it too much. Mm. But essentially, it's kind of the thing of like, you, you, you can't be what you can't see. And yeah. I think it's the same with writing. It's like, if you've not grown up with stories or seeing your stories on stage, it's really hard to write them because it doesn't feel like you're allowed to take up that space. Yes. Um, I think that's so true with queer stories. And like with what you just said about not knowing if there's ever been a lesbian kiss on the Royal Court, I'm like, I have to write that play <laughs> before I die. Well, that's why I'm playing it out into the world. I'm hoping someone will just oh, have God, like so cool. mainly snogging <laughs> for an hour. My dream is that like in like 2027, <laughs> you'll have a play on there and I'll have a play on there. They'll both have a lesbian kiss at the, like, oh, the same time. Yeah, like timed. Yeah, like, so that they're at the same moment every night. <laughs> that's the dream. Some kind of like stopwatch. Yeah. yeah. Um, situation. Yeah. And I also think that sometimes our stories have been told by, uh, there was a spate of like gay stories on at the Royal Court and mm. elsewhere that were written by straight people. And that mm. as well to me has been like a real, it's complicated because of course anybody should be able to write anything. And mm. I don't think there's a problem with that. The problem with that is that when that is the only version we see yeah. and it's from that perspective. And mm. that I think is really, I think that has changed as well. It's mm. that we no longer accept that as like, not that people can't do it, but that there needs to be a bit of an interrogation about why that's happening. And, mm. and, and why, why that gets a bigger uh, platform than and people. And why, yeah, I remember me and a couple of my friends being like, oh, there's another, so that's the gay slot because they've done the gay play now, but it's mm. written by a straight person. Yeah. Um, so I guess we won't be, and that felt a bit complicated, I think. Yeah, yeah, because these things don't happen in a vacuum. It's like people should write whatever they want to write. It, of, but of course they should, It's yeah. about who is given that platform and who is like who then gets to see that work because it's different with theatre it's not like writing a novel it's exactly. like it's about what is actually staged and yes. like what is actually seen yes and so it's programming rather than the individual that's what I often think is it's not the writer's faults mm. it's it really is also to do with programming yeah I'm also kind of interested in like so with um 
like nativities, you, you're not feeling like that necessarily was the kind of manifesto for your yeah. like voice. When you think you, when was the first time something was staged that felt like it was yeah. like closer to your voice or the manifesto for like the kind of work that you want to make? So those those short plays that I was talking about, I think that there was one short play evening that it was Marcelo de Santos and then Alice Birch and Phoebe Waller-Bridge mm. and me. And it was four short plays. Mm. And I wrote a not brilliant piece, but that was like um, probably not even very good piece that was um <laughs> that was about swimming mm. and uh performed by Simon Darwin who was brilliant in it despite like me handing it over like far too late and giving him <laughs> far too many words as a writer you would like as an actor it would disgust you by how <laughs> late and how many words there were um but I think actually what you're saying about being reflected seeing Phoebe do her it was like a tiny bit of Fleabag mm. a, a, a tiny bit of what became Fleabag and mm. Alice's and, and Marcella I think they were all using director dress mm. and I was using director dress as well but because it was so small I felt I could take that risk I'd wanted mm. to write director dress for a while mm. but I thought oh I can just try it out here yeah um and if it's crap it doesn't matter mm-hmm. and so even that though that piece was like very much shown up by the other excellent pieces that were on that evening. I bet yours was excellent too. Oh yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> really, they had to get a piano going, I think, in order to kind of mask the words a bit. Um, but, um, uh, I think I realised then, like, this is this is authentically mm. not authentic. Such an awful word, isn't it? But um, mm. this is like, what I want to write into, and I know how to make it. That was it. That I knew how to make it better mm. as well. So then I started writing longer versions mm-hmm. of that kind of work, and that slowly built into something a bit more doable. Yeah. yeah. And then when did the beginning of your, your relationship with Orange Tree like start? Well, I was in the youth theatre at the Orange ah. Tree many moons ago. My <laughs> mum used to perform there, um, but none of them knew that when they <laughs> met me again. I was like, I have actually been on your stage. <laughs> Starred as Wave. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing so many water themes. I know. I, well, the first thing I did, though, was The Tempest. Um, Whoa. I was a very small person. Because um, Jess and Joe is coastal as well. Yeah, is that right? Very, yeah. Yeah. It was Everything. a really odd thing. Um, but... <laughs> that's kind of by the by I um we did a rehearsed reading of Jess and Joe at the old Vic when they they were hoping to do I think a season of work mm. a bit like they're about to do I think oh um, really yeah they're gonna I, this is like public knowledge it was the okay. you know the competition ah. that is going to be at the Hackney showroom right anyway they had expect they were hoping to do do that with ours, but for some reason I think the the kind of money side didn't work out. So they did mm-hmm. a series of rehearsed readings, and I was so sad because it was like a manifestation mm. of what I wanted to write. And uh, Nicola and Reese, who were eventually in it, were in the reading, mm-hmm. and um, we got some good feedback from that. And the Orange Tree picked it up mm-hmm. along with Farnham, mm-hmm. and then that. They put it on at the orange tree. So yeah. And how how long was the the journey from the rehearsed reading with the old Vic to it being staged? That was fast. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, right. But I think less than a year. Mm-hmm. But the bit before that was super slow because it was mm. a kind of one of those commissions where it's really great because they give you some money to write a play, but equally, like we weren't sure. I think from the get go, we weren't sure whether it would happen. So mm. it was kind of a really great opportunity for somebody who's just starting out, but it yeah. wasn't necessarily there wasn't a clear end point right because so, obviously i guess like the problem with very big theaters is they can commission you but there's not much if you're writing a really small play yeah the chances of it actually being actually staged. being staged is quite slim so mm. yeah um did, did you find that hard then not having an end point like how did that affect your process of writing well i guess like maybe a little bit like with the um short play i liked <laughs> the fact that there was like no uh there actually wasn't too much pressure on me mm. so again I could felt like I could try something out 
and that feels right that helps you like if yeah. you don't have pressure does that help your process rather than like being like i've got a deadline next week yeah i think i've got better at it now mm. and now i'm like pretty good at responding to deadlines and mm. like pretty good at being quick but i think at that point i was still kind of feeling my way out so it was quite good to just have that freedom and space yeah mm. and like just with your process of writing mm. like how do you do it <laughs> like what's a kind of normal working day for you well because I work at the university mm. um and I have an office space there mm. I and because my wife has a proper job um and I'd feel super guilty like lying in bed and not getting up I think <laughs> I used to be like more haphazard in my approach but now mm. I get up and I go into work and I start writing at between nine and ten and then I haven't got any lectures and I'll keep going mm-hmm. till like four or five mm-hmm. like a, a kind of like civil servant slash playwright <laughs> um, so I'm quite kind of again my wife has insisted I take one day off a week so I do that now on a mm-hmm. Sunday so um, that's kind of my work pattern mm-hmm. but that has changed mm-hmm. and do you write on like with pen and paper or like a laptop straight away like what, what's the kind of journey so I guess like the thing that maybe is a bit different to how other people maybe I don't know actually it might be that everybody's doing this but I um, write a I think in telly you'd call it a beat sheet Mm. or a treatment for myself mm-hmm. in prose and then mm. I so I'd normally write a treatment and then I'd write a beat sheet mm-hmm. and then uh which is seen by so the treatment would have like it would be like 20 pages and then mm. I write it into a beat sheet which is just the names of the scenes mm-hmm. and then I sit down and then I write quite quickly so mm. that bit takes ages and I right. always feel very frustrated and like I'm never going to write anything ever again <laughs> Um, and I'm just rubbish. Um, and then the actual writing is quite fast. And so were you always doing that before you even knew about... Because those those terms are kind of more known for telly, like yeah. treatments and beat sheets. Like, did you do that instinctively bef- like as when you were just writing plays? Yeah, I'm no, I mean, I've not really written any telly until, mm. like, I'm now just done my first telly gig. Um, yeah, no, I just did it instinctively because so I couldn't imagine... I think I I think I'm not very good at structure. Mm. Although I went to a <laughs> I went to a workshop with Simon Stevens and he said put up your hand if you don't think you're any good at structure and <laughs> everybody put up their hand mm. which is quite reassuring because yeah. a lot of people feel that way. <laughs> but for me I think because I worry about it mm. I find that that little bit at the beginning mm. means that once I get to writing for me it's a freeing thing because yeah. then I can sit down I'm not like oh god what comes next. Mm. Um that's so funny because I feel like something I learned about myself during the royal court um, intro group was that I overstructured and that meant oh, that I like well I didn't overstructure I just like would know exactly what was going to happen in the play yeah but then I'd be so intimidated by this idea that I'd had oh, you'd want that to I had or I yeah I just freeze I just wouldn't actually oh, be shoot. able to I'd be like I've, I've created a giant <laughs> structure that I actually can't like sort of build so I, I'd get intimidated by the structure oh, that I created and so did you write it out or was it just in your head I don't know I think maybe I did write it out I can't really yeah. remember um but I think I would just get afraid of the thing that I felt like I couldn't do yeah because I'd planned it so much um, and maybe the gap as well for me it's often like the gap between what this could be yeah <laughs> and then you start writing the scenes you're like well that this line's not very good yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and so I find it really interesting that you kind of are so embedded in this sort of structure and, and what it will be and, and then that liberates you. And then I write away from it, yeah. And yeah. then I look back at the structure, I'm like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's learning that, like, you can structure it as much as you want, but you have to play in what yeah. you're doing so that you can actually throw all of that out the window. Yeah. Like, but that's just a kind of, like, strong foundation. Yeah, and I think my mind isn't 
I guess like thinking about the, I guess like the classic Oxbridge student is very cerebral and I was mm. just never like that. Like mm. it just really wasn't. And so for me, I kind of need that. Mm. Whereas I think if you're naturally very cerebral, you're probably doing it anyway, so you don't need to bother. Yeah. But for me, I'm not that way. So like I'll get obsessed with like, I remember Steve saying in a jokey way, Steve Walter saying to me like, uh, there's a bit where somebody like described their bicycle and then the bicycle mm. had been painted over huh. and it was a pink bicycle underneath, but ah. it had been painted blue. And like there was this very long description. He was like, that's such classic you Zoe like <laughs> five pages about the color of this bike <laughs> um and that is where I end up if I don't mm. have a structure <laughs> right, 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 right. Not in a, and some of that you know strengths and weaknesses are a weird thing aren't they because mm. I think I'm quite good at specificity mm. but I will just end up like describing <laughs> the bicycle <for> five <laughs> pages if if left to my own devices so I need that structure yeah whereas maybe if you're like naturally somebody who thinks in structure mm. then it's probably not such a big deal maybe I don't know that's interesting and like so is that treatment like done like by hand or is it ty typed up? Like I do that by hand and then I type it up mm -hmm. and then I will then, and then I write the beat sheet, which is really so I can tick things off. Yeah. Yeah. I do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I can feel like pleased with myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then um, I will write on a computer, but if I'm stuck with a scene, I mm -hmm. come off the computer yeah. and write by hand. Mm -hmm. Totally. You sort of mentioned like having your office. How does writing like kind of sit alongside your kind of money job or your day job? Yeah. Um, well, I've always had a money job. I've mm -hmm. never just been a playwright. Mm -hmm. Apart from there was one year where I where I had enough money and I thought I should do it, mm -hmm. and I fell apart that year. It was oh, wow. absolutely dreadful. Like <laughs> I just couldn't. I'm not. I'm not built for that. Like mm. I, uh, for some people, I'm sure it's amazing and they have a great time. And I'm sure that some people. Well, I know there's a stigma to having a job, mm. but I think that. What what do you think that stigma is? That if you were good, you wouldn't be doing wow the job. That's so interesting. I think sometimes, yeah. Mm. And again, maybe that's changing, and I really hope it is. Yeah, it's stupid. Mm. And the other thing that the job did, I think, if you don't have, and like so many of us don't have, but like private means mm. um, or like a safety net, mm -hmm. because I did this PhD that gave me funding, mm. and then the lectureship. I think I've like found a way to have that freedom of taking a bit longer over commissions to begin with, mm. and thinking about my ideas and mm. didn't have to panic write really mm. fast yeah. or take the wrong telly job or you know that mm. I think that was a real freedom so yeah if anything like your money jobs or your like that sort of like parallel career has like yeah. helped your writing because it's meant totally. that you can like take your time rather than like having to desperately exactly write. scrabble and write badly mm. Yeah. I find it amazing that you were doing a PhD like <laughs> while you're writing these amazing plays. Like how long did the PhD take? Is that three years or four? Yeah, so it was four years, but I wrote Jess and Joe's one of the two PhD plays. Wow. So submitted it for that. Um was I mean was funded for the PhD, which just gave me this oh, freedom. Cool. Great. So like and I would say to like writers who are at that stage where they're feeling a bit I don't know, a little bit rubbish about London and not having any money and not mm. like moving out of London and doing a PhD. It's a really good way of writing <laughs> play, like being paid to write plays mm. in a non-pressure environment. Yeah. So uh, like, there are other pressures. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, an amazing freedom. And then I had to write a critical part of the PhD, which mm -hmm. was helpful. So I wrote on Shakespeare and queer and feminist kind of, oh my God. Bits of Shakespeare. So I'd love to read that. Uh, it's a bit of a mixed piece of work, I'd say. <laughs> I think the bit that I struggled with a bit was they were re when I came to my Viva, they really wanted me to write about the meaning of my plays. Mm. What and can you just explain what a Viva is? Uh, it's a 
um, oral exam where mm-hmm. you defend your thesis. Right. So mm-hmm. you say like why it's good mm-hmm. <laughs> and you had to sort of just define your plays yeah and that one of the questions that came up which was really interesting was that um you say that your plays are queer are mm. they queer oh wow are they queer yeah whoa <laughs> <laughs> i'd be like ah. <laughs> so uh I, yeah and i don't really like um articulating my authorial intent mm. too strongly i think yeah. there's a sense of i think it's quite important to me and it's not the same for everybody some people have a really clear mm. they want to be able to tell you like like that's part of their practice yeah and for me that is not part of my practice yeah. really so that was a bit tricky but other than that it was an amazing experience yeah. mm. and so what is the title of like if, if i were to like look up like the phd if i were to like find it like what what is it called yes it is creative writing phd so cool. and you can do them in all different places and right. the percentage of creative to critical is different in all different places oh cool um so mine was 30 percent to to 33 to 66 or right. whatever that adds up to 100%. Yeah. And so um, the 66 is the writing and exactly. the 33 is the For critical. other places it would be 50-50. Okay. So depending on the kind of writer you are, mm-hmm. that can be more. And you can do ones that are more, are very self-reflexive. So some mm. people will write 30,000 words on their practice yeah. and then write the plays or make the work mm. alongside it. And actually weirdly, well not weirdly, quite I think quite understandably, a lot of kind of makers end up in academia more so because mm. they're used to articulating their, yeah. what it is they're doing. In a, in a quite, uh, that feels like part of their practice, maybe. Yeah. I wonder why that is, like why makers sort of feel more of a, not necessarily pressure, but why that feels like it's a bit more of your practice than it is for playwrights. I don't know. I mean, I would say you might be better placed to answer that because you've done a bit more making. But <laughs> mm. I wonder if it's because you're articulating it in the room. Yeah. I guess if, if you're working with other people, you all need to be on the same page about why yes. you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And what, what the sort of end point or the kind of deep manifesto to it is whereas if you're writing you're kind of just figuring out as you go along I suppose yeah maybe yeah maybe I think that's that's that feels true Mm. (laughs) Jess and Joe forever were staged and out of water were staged like that feeling of like okay this is a bit more about this is this feels more authentically like what I want to be doing and creating how did it feel when they were in front of an audience like respectively I'm never very good in front of an audience although your lovely face on the front row um, (laughs) (laughs) it was a joy to watch and I was like oh she's enjoying it um I think that waiting for the first laugh is really horrible Mm. um I think I was really uh, like surprised and happy that an orange tree audience actually warmed to my work because Mm. I think it maybe even though I grew up around the corner it wouldn't necessarily be where I'd be expecting to see my work Mm. um so that was quite positive Mm -hmm. i think without water we got a slightly more diverse audience which Mm. was really good whereas jess and joe the structure of the play doesn't announce itself as queer so that took a little bit longer Mm. and also maybe wasn't the point of that play as well i Mm. I really like i like the idea of not preaching to the converted yeah so not that actually there's anything wrong with that yeah i think that there's something to be said for making work for your community and like Mm. and it's fine to make a play that is like fully about like about and for lesbians or yeah. about and for a black community like whatever yeah. it is but I think for me my work I think I'm better when I'm making work that is maybe trying to like hold the hands of people who haven't quite mm. um got there yet yeah on those issues so it was which sometimes makes it uncomfortable because you have to have conversations in the bar afterwards that mm. are a bit like people wanting to work things out or mm. ask you questions yeah. in a way that can feel a little bit like oh don't ask me that but, yeah you know they, they're allowed to and that's mm. part of the conversation yeah yeah and so that journey from like rehearsals to 
kind of it being staged like do, like do your plays change very much in rehearsal or does it feel like they're usually kind of there I think the two would be really different so mm. Jess and Joe I think we because we'd done that rehearsed reading a year before mm. so anything that we wanted to change like we were able we had like so much time and mm. um, because I'd already written it and we'd done that so it, it felt like we were already in process so by the time we were in the room we changed little bits yeah mainly cutting really bad jokes and <laughs> there was like a whole bit that was about Mallory Towers and like mm. me and one this is what I mean by yeah. like me needing a plan um, <laughs> me and like there was like one marketing person who understood it and nobody <laughs> else was that interested in Mallory Towers right. with Out of Water I think two things happened I think one because I was dealing with a, a complicated set of so the class politics of it mm. plus the queer politics of it mm -hmm. plus r writing and making something that was about gender queerness as well mm. which is like adjacent to my personal identity mm. but also isn't me mm. we did more negotiating in the room mm. and I was called out more which mm. I think was really a good thing even though it was painful mm. so I and I, there's still things in Out of Water that I'm not totally happy with because mm. I think it's more, to me, that felt like I was still finessing what I was trying to say mm. and making sure that I was fair to all those characters and mm. understanding them. And the actors really helped with that. Yeah. And although I wouldn't say that it's always right to have, that you have to insist on a queer cast, mm. I think that having a queer cast in the room where was really important for that show. Yeah. And I think the fact that I'm like with a queer director and then like everyone in the cast queer like that's such a that's such a boon like for yeah. what you're making and, and can make the work even richer and can mean that you can collaborate and exactly. they can give suggestions which I think is probably why it was such a wonderful play like oh, and why it was you. so yeah. amazing yeah no it was really good even though like I think there's something there's something quite nice when you're like the only the only gay in the <laughs> room you're like well this is how it is yeah so <laughs> you will do as I say when they're yeah. like it isn't how it is though it's your worldview yeah <laughs> so I think that was actually that was a good thing for me yeah but I can imagine being able to be called out by people yeah. means that the play can be richer because like things that you've missed within your worldview totally. can be like sort of mined and kind of interrogated yeah exactly exactly yeah, so a really a sharp learning curve. And we just had a lot less time that, mm. that time. So I wrote very quickly and I was handing in the PhD corrections kind of at the same time. Mm. The director was really good about that, but it did just mean we had to work at a real pace. Mm -hmm. And like, what would you imagine like success would look like if you mm. could like dream it up? What would it look like? I think for me at the moment, success is maybe more about, um, well, it's about two things. I'm really ambitious to have my work. I want someone to write a big queer play for the Royal Court downstairs. And mm. I'd love it to be me, but I also <laughs> I would be happy if somebody else did it. Mm. So I don't know that that's like an ambition for mm. me necessarily. And like, I really, I want to continue to write work that is for people outside London, mm. central London. I think that's really important to me mm. and big audiences that are quite inclusive. Mm. And I really like writing plays that are for everybody. Mm. Um, so maybe just keeping going like that and writing for bigger... I mean, I want to write for bigger places. Mm. Yeah. And how do you feel like that might affect your work? Like how, like when you imagine like plays of yours, like for bigger audiences, like what does, what does that feel like for your imagination? I think sometimes when people write about, when I'm lucky enough to have people write about my work, they sometimes say that it's like small and heartfelt and hmm. which is really lovely. But mm. I also think that, um, that, does down the people who are in those plays I think mm. people who are living lives outside of the capital or are living lives that are not um don't seem very epic mm. that they don't deserve massive 
massive stages mm. and like two really like formative experiences for me were um watching port mm. um, on i think it was that's so funny i've been thinking about port loads as you've been talking yeah. because that thing you've been talking about about like characters having hope like despite exactly. like it's, it's so poor that's um, yeah ports by simon stevens just for <laughs> listeners <laughs> yeah that and then there was season's greetings that was on i can't remember it was on the same stage but it was on mm. at the national on a big stage mm-hmm. and there's a bit where Catherine tate's character does this monologue and she's like this suburban low middle mm. class housewife and like both those times i was really like um it was Kate Flynn, wasn't it? Who was, <sighs> yeah. Both those performances, Never. I thought, oh my God, those women deserve to be on those massive stages. Yeah. And their stories don't need to be like, they are epic in themselves to those characters. They don't need to have massive political power mm. or cultural capital mm. to be important for us to watch in an epic way. Mm. So that's something I'm really kind of invested in. Mm. in seeing as I'm such a like keen audience member that if somebody else does it, I'd be thrilled for that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And um, what inspires you? At the moment, my wife. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's really, really sad. Oh, yeah, so she's, cute. <laughs> well, she's a teacher, so I wrote a play about her being a teacher, <laughs> and she goes to church. So now I'm writing a play about church. Oh my god, I need that. If like queer <laughs> church, I live. I, mean, I live for that. Oh. I need to like. Yeah. Oh, how exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's a bit of a minority sport, but um, <laughs> well, I, it's it's interesting. Like with the people that I've met in the process of like finding a director for the, the play that I've written, like when they were queer, actually more often than not, they were also Christian, which I find how fascinating. I know, and I'm like very much an apostate, like very much like it's a colonial tool. Like yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. I just, <laughs> I like, yeah, just don't believe troubling in, in about twelve different ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, I find it so interesting, like that, like you know, a lot of the people that I was meeting were both queer and Christian. And I was yeah. like, wow, what an interesting intersection to sit at. Yeah, it's fascinating. Mm. And uh, yeah, she does the whole, like she sits on the parish council and wow. she runs the Sunday school. And Amazing. Uh, yeah, so I am fa- fascinated by what she does there. Mm. Hopefully at some point I'll stop writing about her and write about somebody else. <laughs> but that's, that's amazing. Well, I'll run like... out of ideas. After <laughs> she also loves sea swimming, so I got that in yeah. as well. <laughs> but I feel yeah. like people can be so complex and the places that you go from that first point of yeah. um, inspiration like are so far away from like who that person is so like I can imagine you could just mine your love yeah. of your wife for like many many years <laughs> like a loser yeah <laughs> that's so beautiful makes my heart swell yeah thanks <laughs> and like what are you excited about making next or doing next uh writing that writing more for children mm. and writing for bigger Maybe writing for bigger stages, although I, you know, love the orange tree. <laughs> so, yeah, probably mm. all of those things, yeah. And, like, television, film? Yeah, I've just written, uh, well, I've just done a sort of shadowing scheme for a, a TV show, which I can't say what it is, but, um, mm. which was just, like, a joyous experience mm. and uh, was so nice because I learned so much about structure, which I don't mm. think I would have learned elsewhere and had, like, the most amazing script editor who worked in a much more forensic way mm. it's a slightly different forensic way that I would normally only get to in rehearsal room ah. for theatre yeah. so it has been brilliant and I think also being a populist <laughs> um, telly is like how you reach loads and loads and loads of people mm. and have conversations um, like my family watch absolutely tons of telly and yeah. are really intelligent when they talk about it mm. and they wouldn't go to the theatre yeah. so it isn't other than my mother but like yeah, the rest of the family have absolutely tons to say about that sort of thing. And same with my friends up north who aren't working in 
theatre. Mm. So that's exciting to me. And so that feels like kind of the potential biggest reach. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I think you can write wholehearted. Maybe there's a bit more potential for wholehearted drama. Yeah, and, and, and warmth and like... And warmth, yeah, that's not necessarily seen as like a little bit... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know not arty mm. um yeah yeah there's something in like when you're talking about having plays like yours on big stages like I think there's something about intimacy yeah. like I think you know I know what you mean about people describing them as kind of small but it's like it feels more like they're so delicate and like they have such a benefit from being really close up to them yeah and it's almost like I can imagine you writing for tv and like being able to have that huge kind of political impact but like still be that deep warm connection with the characters yeah, as well. well that would be very exciting i think i yeah and i think about the stuff where like health policy has changed or like mm. um the show like the show that i was working on has like a health theme and like the idea that you might write about somebody a successful outcome of somebody going and getting a smear test mm. and that actually changes like how yeah. people feel about smear tests yeah like, i think that's a really amazing opportunity yeah that we can have in theater but we don't always mm, always palpably like feel. no exactly, exactly yeah yeah I'm so pleased to have had you on like because <laughs> it, it's it's really amazing to talk to somebody who is like with what you were saying at the beginning about like not being able to see like the kind of work that you'd eventually make on stage like it's like when I saw Out of Water, I felt like, wow, there are like lesbians on stage. Aww. It's so weird how <laughs> how little I see this, like, and how much that inspires and helps other people to like yeah. keep making work and oh, keep writing. You. So, thanks so I'm much for coming to see on. Your lesbian play in the new yeah, year. <laughs> lesbians, lesbians. <laughs> thanks so much, Zoe. Thank you. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to Making It. If you'd like to hear more, make sure to subscribe and leave us a cheeky five star review. You can also follow me on Twitter at Way. And you can book to see my debut play, The High Table, which will be on at the Bush Theatre in Shepherd's Bush from February the 8th. Making It is produced by Jane Ryan, edited and scored by Kazra Ferruzia, photography by Jess Ravel, artwork by Theo Banner, and hosted by me, Temi Wilkie. The podcast is supported by the Bush Theatre and London Playwrights, and is a proud member of the One Fine Play Network.